What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Sorry to Interrupt podcast. We got a Monday rundown here for you. Um, first, we started talking about the Kyrie Irving trade. Uh, Sean had to get a few things off his chest, uh, and I gave my takes on it as well. Following that, we teased it for long enough, and we finally had the time to do it. Uh, we talked a little college basketball today, and then we talked golf for about five minutes. Uh, so follow us on Twitter at Sorry Sports, and we'll be back later in the week with some Super Bowl stuff. And then we're going to break down the rest of the NBA trade deadline if anything happens. Follow us on Twitter at Sorry Sports and enjoy the pod. Yeah, we are. We are at our best when we're doing frequent pods. I think we should put out a few more for the people if we can find the time. But it's also not just because we like talking to each other. It's definitely been warranted. Uh, Usually the winters are a little slow, especially when the championship games are over. It's supposed to be a slow week between championship games and the Super Bowl, but Kyrie Irving had other plans. (laughs) He did. So we did our emergency pod on Friday night, and... Tom, where we left off was pretty much in agreement that he was the Nets were going to wait him out, call his bluff, and then if he was to be moved, it was going to be to the Lakers. And neither of those things happened. In a very short amount of time, a little over 48 hours, Kyrie Irving is a member of the Dallas Mavericks in exchange for Spencer Dinwiddie, Nets' old friend, Dorian Finney-Smith, 2029 unprotected first-round pick, and two second-rounders, one in 27 and one in 29. So what are your thoughts? My first thing is I I think that some of these reports from the other teams are bullshit and they were the Nets putting it out there in order to get what they got from Dallas. I think there was somewhat of a Lakers chance, but I don't think the reports are true that the Lakers were going to give up 27 and 29. I don't know about the Suns. I don't think they'd give up CP3 and picks on top of that. So... The more I think about it from over the last, I guess it's about 24 hours, I I feel like there probably was an offer from the Lakers and there probably was an offer from the Suns. But then, and the Mavericks probably put together uh, Finney Smith and Dinwiddie and a couple second rounders. And then over, you know, at the 11th hour or whatever you want to call it, they decided to throw in the first. And that's when the Nets took it because they were kind of holding their feet to the fire. And I think this was pure desperation out of the Dallas Mavericks. And I got to be honest with you from the Dallas Mavericks side, I do not hate it. It's crazy to say, but I don't hate it. And that's my thoughts on these last 24 hours is I think that the Nets held their feet to the fire till they got the first round pick and the Lakers and the Suns didn't offer nearly as much as is being reported. I don't think the Lakers could offer anything close to what the Nets wanted unless the Nets were going to go the route of, okay, we're just going to admit a rebuild, and in the next four four days we're going to trade Kevin Durant. But you know because those, you know what's yeah. crazy, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I really want to get this point across, is if the Nets go into a full rebuild, that's not good for the Nets because the Houston Rockets own most of their picks. 
Yeah, that's that's what I've pretty much been saying every time that people want to talk about the Nets tearing it down. I've been talking about it off the pod because I know you and I are seeing succinctly that there's no conceivable route that they do that, whether Kevin Durant's on the roster or not. And even going back to the summertime when we were talking about, you know, maybe trading Kyrie to the Lakers and trading Durant to Phoenix or Miami or Boston, it's like – you're going to get enough assets for these guys where you're never going to suck. Like for all the people that are trying to equate this to the 2013, 14, 15 debacle when the Nets just lost everything, they had set themselves up for that. And Darren Williams quit on the team. They didn't become an attractive destination anymore. This team will be good enough for a long time. So those picks are moot. Um, The other thing too is I know that the Nets – who have been talking with Kevin Durant reportedly at length about this and Durant, you know, signed off on it is they had to get players back that are going to complement the Nets goals of a winning now and also allow for cap flexibility and roster flexibility along with draft capital to make another big time move as recently as about an hour before we get on this podcast, there were talks that they're deep in negotiations with the Raptors for some kind of combination of Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet, whether that was going to be a part of this Dallas trade or they were going to revisit that. Who knows if it comes to fruition, but you know, we've seen Dinwiddie play before and he knows Durant. Well, Finney Smith is a young athletic wing defender who Kevin Durant has publicly praised at times in which the Nets and Mavericks have played. (laughs) None of them are on big deals. And then you get that first-round pick, which now leads three first-round picks that the Nets have. This year's Philly pick, their own pick in uh, 2027, and or Philly's pick in 2027, and now Dallas's pick in 2029. So it's, in my opinion, man, it sets them up for very near-future upgrades around Durant, but it also just flat-out makes your team a little bit better because you're much more versatile defensively and you're bigger at the guard part. You're not going to in any way equate what Irving does, you know, from a microwave scoring position. But they're better defensively right now than they were three days ago. Yeah, no doubt about it. I I think, honestly, from the Nets, they got the first-round pick asset, which they can turn into another player. I think, if anything, they kind of broke even. You do lose that electric player in Kyrie Irving, but you do get better defensively, and, and the stability in the locker room is just so much better and I think Kevin Durant might be able to take a deep breath and kind of wash his hands of it because I I mean if you injected him with truth serum I think he'd say that he made a huge mistake for three and a half years ago whatever it was signing on with Kyrie Irving um and then honestly I want to talk about it from the Mavericks perspective I love it I I really do I know it's crazy to say but you're in limbo with Luka Doncic and the way they're looking at it is green off the bench can who's been playing excellent can pretty much replace what Finney Smith has done. And then you're basically just adding 10 points a game to what Dinwiddie's done. And if it doesn't work, then you lost, then you shave that cap space with those two players and you can revisit the drawing board again and let Kyrie walk at the end of the season. And mark my words, Sean, I want to get it on wax. I think Kyrie Irving is going to have an excellent, amazing second half to this season. I think he's going to go off. He's been going off with the Nets. I think he's yeah, exactly my point. I think he's going to so be I even have no better. Disagreement with you at all? I think I think the Nets had to get rid of him. I, kudos to the Nets for getting assets for a guy that's 
pretty much, I mean, between everything that he's done, I don't want to recap it from the from Friday's pod, not to mention the fact that he's a pending free agent that could just walk away at the end of the season. The fact that they got an asset is amazing. So I think he definitely had to get out of Brooklyn, but now I think he's going to turn it up even more and be super locked in because Kyrie's got two reasons to play. One, despite the Nets and to prove everybody that he is still Kyrie Irving and he's still amazing. And two, He's in a fucking contract year, and and the Nets wouldn't even give him a true offer without stipulations. So he's really going to want to go out and earn it. And I think you're going to see a lot of like forty point efforts out of him, and, oh, and him and Luca combining for ninety points or whatever you want to say. Definitely. But but I think it's Listen, a win win for both teams, in my opinion. I have no doubt that he's going to absolutely have those nights where you just go like, oh yeah, Luca had forty five and Kyrie had forty two. You know, but there were a lot of those nights with the Nets this year is as, you know, tumultuous as that was, he was putting up those numbers. So I have no doubt that he's going to continue to do that. My only thing is for, you know, oh, well, he's playing in a contract year in this contract year that has not changed since opening night. He's had he's been suspended by his own team and now he's pulled this. He, every report said that Chris Haynes as recently as today said that even if the Nets were to offer, if they were not going to trade him and they were to offer him the four-year extension again, said Kyrie would sit out the rest of the year. So this is a dude who, it doesn't fucking matter, man. Teams, I think, already have their minds made up on it. Nothing he can do from an offensive standpoint is going to change how teams, what the perception of him is around the league. Everybody knows this. We saw it last year when he was playing part-time games and going for 55 and 60 points and uh, on certain occasions. So what this dude does, I do think it's very interesting for Dallas though, because now they, they really are finally starting to make one of those panic moves. And it is a panic move knowing that here, this could be just a couple months rental, but at least proven to Luca, listen, we're trying buddy. We're trying. Yeah, and I just think it's a win for them because they get off of the Dinwiddie and the Fiddy Smith contracts, and they can sign a couple of guys if if Kyrie Irving doesn't work out. I think Kyrie Irving is going to play the nicest he has because his back's against the wall. I mean, listen, all logic denies this and and says the opposite because I feel like I've said this every time, but I truly believe that Kyrie is going to play nice over the next... Uh, what is it, like four months or whatever, and he's going to be amazing. And you know what? It's only going to take one team dumb enough to give him that four-year deal, and I really do think there is a team dumb enough to do that. Well, I also, just to kind of compliment your point is, you know, for the people who might be rolling their eyes, is he's also doing this in a new situation, and we have seen Kyrie when he starts a new endeavor, or a new endeavor with a new team. Dude is usually on his best behavior. At least oh, Kyrie start. Irving is... He's that guy slash gal where the they are the best human beings to be with in the first six months of a relationship. You Absolutely. Think, I mean, they think that you're the one. They wine and dine you. They treat you amazing. And then things... Introduce you to friends and family. Yeah. And then you yeah. get to the top of that roller coaster. And then it's just, you know, six months in, it's all downhill from there. He yeah. is and exactly then, that. So that's to your point is if he continues this trend that he kept in Boston and in Brooklyn, he's going to do it again here in Dallas. And again, I think a change of scenery was perfect for both teams. The Nets front office finally get to catch their breath and say, we're done with this. Um, I don't really want to talk about what this conceivably, you know, is this the biggest disappointment and failure of all time? I think, yes, it is just knowing how much they put into it, but 
I, I'm going to table that conversation. I think for a uh, when the news cycle's a little, a little slower, and also if Durant leaves, if Durant yeah. stays, and the Nets are able to turn this into a Pascal Siakam or or really reinvigorate this that would team be incredible. and run. Yes, that the big three experiment with Harden and the obviously the Kyrie Durant relationship uh, is over, but. You know, we're, we don't totally know yet because I said this way back in 2021, man. The most important person that the Nets locked up into into an extension, it was not James Harden, it was not Kyrie Irving, it was Kevin Durant. And that's still more more present now than ever. No, 100%. And I, I don't even know if it's the biggest fuck-up because it's not like a situation where, you know, the Atlanta Hawks for no reason traded Trey Young for, or Luka Doncic for Trey Young in the in that pick swap. Or, or last year where the Mavericks offer, you know, they could have had um, Jalen Brunson for four years at 55 and they didn't want it and now he's on the Knicks and, and killing it. Like a, a lot of this, and we could debate it when the news cycle is more boring and we need something to talk about, but a lot of this is just like I don't blame the Nets. Can you? I, I cannot blame the Nets Tom, for the shit that Harden pulled and the shit that Kyrie pulled. Tom, this was a franchise that four years before that was complete, like in anonymity. All they were known for was the debacle in the Pierce and Garnett trade, which was much more egregious than this. And all I'm going to say is if you run this through the algorithm 10 times, the only scenario in which a global pandemic occurs in which one of your star players refuses to get vaccinated or is only available on a part-time basis because of government rules forcing that third star who came on board to say, I don't want to deal with this anymore because the main guy, Kevin Durant, got hurt. Like, just you you put everything in totality. And you know what, man? I'm just going to leave it at this. Sometimes you have to dare to be great. The Nets dared to be great. I would rather that than then just perennially be what could have been their route after that six-seed season in 2019 where you re-signed D'Angelo Russell to a max. I don't think anybody would feel good about that. You get, you signed Jared Allen. Like, they would always have been a six-to-five, and five, six to five, maybe in a best-case scenario four-seed, kind of like what your Knicks are, where they have their fun nights, they have their bad nights, and you know that there's no realistic chance of the title. They dare to be great, and as of right now, it's been a huge failure. That's a cute speech. That's right up there with Battle Tested. Dare to be great. Um, I think we try and dare to be great all the time, but no, you're right. Uh, outside of the corny well, little... greater than what this Nets experiment is, <laughs> outside, to be honest. Outside of that little corny quote, I completely agree with you. They went for it, and it, it crashed and burned. Um, again, if you ran that through a simulator a million times, this may be the worst outcome. But at the end of the day, if you still have Kevin Durant on your team, it ain't that bad. No, and we got three more nights to see if that's what is end up ending up going to be the case. I, I'm going to make this prediction on the Nets, Tom, and then I want to just talk about what's next for potentially Dallas here. I think if the Nets fail to make a big-time move and turn some of this draft capital that they now have, the second-round picks, the, the first-round picks, and in addition to some relatively interesting young players. We saw Cam Thomas go for 44 the other night. They have the Seth Curry and Joe Harris contracts. Um I think if they fail to do that and they bottom out and maybe, you know, lose in the first round again this year, um, Durant's going to be traded in the summer. 100% agree. If there is a trade, I don't think it happens within the next uh, two to three days. I think it happens in the summer. It's too big to facilitate one team because we talked about it again on the pod the other night. Like, there's not one team. Like, Phoenix doesn't have the pieces by themselves that make the Nets want to trade him there. 
uh, and Kevin Durant's not going to hold out. Uh, so unless Miami offers Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and Tyler Harrow, that's not going to happen either. Um, so it's it's not going to. Uh, this is something that we're going to have to revisit come June. Uh, Tom, in your opinion, what's next for Dallas? Um, I mean, I don't really know what they have left to give away. Uh, I, again, I like the trade because it gives them flexibility and it got them out of some deals that they might have been overpaying players to be more than they were. Although Finney Smith is on a nice contract, I do have to say that is a nice contract for the Nets. Um, I I think they're going to fill in some some – ancillary pieces maybe maybe look to the buyout market but what else is there really for them to do they need to spend they can't get any other big players they can't afford them not to mention they need to figure out what the fuck they're going to do with these two guys um and i think it's going to be a version of jalen brunson and luka Doncic on crazy steroids because kyrie irving is 10 times the player that jalen brunson is What's your, let's just say they don't do anything else, or maybe they just do a couple of things around the margins. What's your ceiling for this team this year if Kyrie's healthy? Ceiling? And cooperative. Ceiling, Western yeah. Conference Finals, possible finals. Wow. So you really are high on this. Yeah. I, I think that they could okay. make it to the Western Conference Finals. Um, I mean, Milwaukee's still a young team. That Dylan Brooks situation is getting more and more interesting by the day. Um, I don't know what the hell's happened to him, but he's kind of flown off the radar. Um, and then it's pretty much Denver. I mean, oh, he's on the radar. He's flown off the handles. Yeah, done. yeah, that's <laughs> off the reservation is more what I meant to yeah. say. Um, I, I, I don't know what's going on there. I think they need to – they might need to shake things up and, and trade him for two veteran players or something. I don't know. They have plenty of assets there. Um, I mean, when, moving over to the Western Conference, it can be had. I mean – you're looking at teams in front of Phoenix, and Booker doesn't look to be coming back, right, anytime soon? Um, no, no, no. He's coming back tomorrow. He will play against my Nets tomorrow. Oh, well, I guess we'll have to see um, if that's enough. But, uh, again, I don't really think, outside of Denver, I don't really think there's any team that is the class. I mean, Curry's got this – Curry talking about out for a while. Curry's got some – I don't know, you do a better job describing the injury than me, but it just doesn't sound very, very good to me. Uh, New Orleans, I mean, Zion, another guy where it doesn't sound very good. That guy, I mean, he's got a million things wrong with him. And then the Clippers, the injury kings. So uh, this this Western Conference is wide open. I don't think there was a better time or a better team to go for Kyrie Irving than the, than the Dallas Mavericks, including the Lakers. It's a hell of a sales pitch right there. Um We'll have to see what teams do between now. You also, and by the way, Eastern and Thursday. By the way, everybody, Sean asked me their ceiling. Yeah, their floor could be could be falling backwards and in the play-in game. I don't like the defense that they lost with Finney Smith. I think that's an important piece. I think they have the players to make up for that. I truly do. I hope you're right in their sake. I'm going to say that their ceiling is a Western Conference final as well because they went to their they went there last year. Now they needed some crazy shit to happen, but you just ran down how volatile this Western Conference is. I think obviously Denver's the safest pick. Why can't they do that again? Now Kyrie's better than Brunson, as you said, but you do lose that Dinwiddie piece, which I think felt filled a very nice role, and Finney Smith too. But hey, if 
if their other players continue to play the way that they have and, and fit into a role, then I don't see a reason why because now you have two closers in the fourth when a lot of teams don't even have one. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Uh, how do you feel about your Nets? What's their ceiling? How about that? I'll ask you. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to completely say this and and be and cop out. I have no idea. The plan is to make a move by Thursday. All indications are that. So ask me Thursday because nothing about this situation feels like it's done. Unlike Dallas, where I think you and I agree that they're probably pretty much done. Yeah, except for a few pieces that aren't going to make much of an impact. I think they're completely done. As for the Nets, if it stands as currently constituted, I think they're probably first round. second round or first round out, if not second round out at most. But it's it's a wait and see. We're probably going to talk again on Thursday or Friday because we got to make our Super Bowl predictions, and hopefully there's a few more trades than this to get us excited. Um, but, yeah, I mean – it's over, man. It's 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 hopefully over for you. I'm going to just say this on the behalf of Net fans. There was never a bigger cock tease, and it just really fucking sucks. But this is not – I'm not going to say that I miss him at this point. After all the crap that I've been through trying to reconcile his decision-making and defend him and play fucking verbal gymnastics to not sound like a complete fanboy – his play is exemplary, and it was a privilege watching him play when he played. It just didn't happen enough, and you get to the point, man, where sometimes it's just you're tired of it. And if I'm tired of it, I can only imagine what that front office feels. Yeah, I feel like you were apologizing more to uh, Nets fans. You're apologizing for Celtics fans, and you're apologizing for future Mavericks fans. Pretty much everybody but the Cavs because he did get a ring there. My whole prevailing thought was if he can pick his own team with his best friend in the market he wants to be in, this should be a really good situation because none of the other previous stops were. Well, here we go. I was wrong, and that's okay. I'll admit that I'm wrong. Um, and this whole experiment, you know, he, I'm going to be happy to, I'll be happy to watch him on TNT or ESPN or whenever Dallas is on national TV, which they are a lot, but. Fuck it, man. I'm not going to miss all the distractions and all the constant tweets and all the updates and just fuck it. I'm I'm done with it and I'm happy to be. I I think Kyrie Irving just wants to play basketball on his terms. And when when you're not a team, when you don't own the league, I mean, and you got a boss, you got to do you got to show up to work. It's the same thing that these live golf guys are experiencing. It's like, yeah, cool. Take all that money. You think you're going to do it on your terms. But the Saudi government is your boss, and if they tell you you got to be somewhere, even though you don't want to be there at some pro-am in the middle of the fucking oh, you Middle have no East, choice. it's up to you. Same thing with, I mean, basketball, obviously. It's not run by the Saudi government, but you got to do certain things. You sign a contract to collect the earnings that you want to collect so that you can be on the platform you want to be on. That comes with obligations, whether you like them or not, and after a while, it just gets to the point where you know what, this is an absolute circus, and yeah, I'm happy I'm happy it's over with. And you want to know the craziest part about this whole thing? And Rosillo pointed it out, and I don't feel like anybody else has said it, so I want to say it. He got a $2 million trade kicker for yeah, forcing his way out after all this, after the shit that he did with the vaccine, after being injured all the time, which really isn't his fault, but still, after the whole 
terrible tweet shit he put out, and now the holdout, he still made two million extra dollars. That's so much money. So many people in this world are not going to make two million dollars in their lives, and he made it because he forced a trade, like as a throw-in. Yeah, there's this CBA is going to be drastically different. The next CBA is going to be drastically different. I would fucking hope so, dude. Two million dollars because because you forced your way out. That should be canceled out. There should be the trade kicker should be if you don't uh, initiate the trade. How about all the money that he was able to make by the Nets still paying him when he wasn't playing? Yeah, I That'd know. That'd be nice to get back some of that so the Nets could use it on their roster, for fuck's sakes. Well, you hope that some of that good that good uh, karma, whatever you want to call it, that good nature by the Nets is, is held in high regard by some players that are a little more level-headed, including Kevin Durant. Kyrie, I think, is the ultimate... He's kind of psychopathic, if you think about it, because every former teammate just loves him. You know, yep. like... You see him with Jason Tatum. Yet another reason Brown. why. Yet another reason why I'm calling it that he is going to get a, a max this summer. Well, because I think I think that if you're Dallas or if you're another team, you, you know that he has the star power and the the respect around the league by other great players who are going to want to go play with him. I know, and say, and, I'm, I'm different. And whatever owner is going to be saying, if we could just get him to, you know, not fly off the handle for eight months out of the year or seven months out of the year, it'll be great. He's going to be excellent. And and the Celtics said that, and the Cavaliers said that, and and the Nets said that. And how's that going for those three teams? Yeah, eventually it doesn't become an outlying situation. It's you are who you are. Trends here. There's a trend here. Yes, exactly. This is who Kyrie Irving is. And it's weird because I was like listening to some of the Nets pregame, you know, comments today, you know, because they actually are playing right now. And Claxton was like, he's my brother. He's one of the best teammates I ever had. Cam Thomas calls him an idol. Like, a, like, and I'm like, these guys fucking love him. But I think you have to separate personal. Like, we've all had friends that we really like and that we care deeply about, maybe grew up with, and maybe there's, like, let's use your relationship analogy, and you're just not seeing eye to eye anymore, and eventually it becomes to the point where it's like, it's in my best interest for us not to be best friends anymore, or, like, you know, maybe our relationship's gone a separate ways, like, because I, this is no longer making me happy with all the stress that you bring, so. Yeah, well, yeah and also, together, but it's time to also, you gotta look at it like, from a friend perspective or whatever, where it's like, you know, I, he must have these guys brainwashed. You're probably right because I'm looking at it as if this guy's my coworker and he doesn't want to show up to work and he leaves me having to bear the load of that. It's like, you don't give a fuck about me. So why should I give a fuck about you? Yet these guys are drooling over him. Yeah. I think it's again, like he, he does mesmerize the basketball heads. That's why KD wanted to play with him because he does consider himself an artist when he plays and he does shit that no one else does. And his game is literally poetry in motion. So I think there's that. And I think, you know, he's very different in locker room and with his individual relationships than he is in the big picture. But yeah, man, it's not a mistake that that Boston team got a lot better once they were able to rid themselves of him. Um, And I'm really hoping that, you know, 
thing stays with the Nets, you know, maybe history repeats itself there, but take it one day at a time. (laughs) Sounds like you got broken up with Jesus. It's just, I mean, I feel like it with all the emotional investment I put into this fucking team and how high I was after that when they announced that they were coming here. And ever since then, it's just been downhill and you explain away the pandemic and the bubble and the vaccine and then the hardened shit. And now all this is just like, okay, um, I don't want to do this anymore. No. I'm going to take I'm going to go to sleep after this podcast is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be so worn out. Yeah, I, I get it, man. It's it's been a roller coaster, but that's enough of that. Let's we're burying the lead. Let's talk about um something more important and that's my all-time take that Jalen Brunson looks just like Kyler Murray. <laughs> because they both are like these short, stocky dudes with I mean, the hair doesn't even matter, although they do have the same kind of hair, but they got that, no offense to them, because I'm I'm chubby all around, but they got that fat face where it's like, they don't look like they should be as athletic or as fast or whatever as they are, but they are, because they have that fat face. <laughs> don't tell me, look them up side by side, don't tell me they're no, not doppelgangers. I'm, I'm with you, they're doppelgangers, they're the same person, they look exactly the same, it's hysterical. I'll tell you what, though. I'll take Jalen Brunson on the Knicks over Kyler on the Jets. Thank you. You'd be an idiot to think otherwise. Yeah. All right. Ready to talk some college basketball real quick? I am. We haven't really done it this year, and I know we've always teased it, but every (laughs) time we think we're going to put it into the notes, something else happens. But, Tom, I found myself watching some college basketball this this, uh, past weekend. And I know you were watching it a little bit more earlier on. I have the rankings here. Uh, Purdue is number one. I'm just going to go one team per conference, and I'm going to ask you if there's a single team per conference that excites you in terms of making a deep tournament run, okay? Mm -hmm. So let's start with Purdue in the Big Ten. Is this the best team unequivocally in the regular season, and is this a Final Four team? No. What are your concerns then? Purdue's the same shit. I just don't think – they. I don't think that they have the guards. I've watched a couple of their games. I mean, Jenkins is okay, but I just don't think that they have the guards. I know that Purdue always has the big man on the inside. They used to have the two who I feel like they had two German um, guys a couple of years ago. I, I can't remember. One was a more inside heavy guy. The other guy was more of an outside in guy, but I mean, that shit didn't work when it came to tourney time. Tourney time is all about the guards and you know that. Yeah, I do. Um, they also don't have a very good history. One, even with some super talented teams, I feel like they're usually out by the elite eight. Um, I know they've had a couple crazy years. What was it that year with uh Oh, who was that kid that got drafted by Boston in the second round? That that shooter that just went off in that one game um, against them. Yeah. No, or are you he thinking was on for Purdue. them? No, for them. He was on Purdue. Um, oh, I can't remember shit. his name, but I see you know his face. About. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's already out of the league. He's a guard, but he could shoot the lights out. He's, he's playing out overseas now. Yeah. Anyway, though, like, like that's kind of their max, and I think that got him to the Final Four. Um, Edie is an absolute stud, but I think the right team could get him in foul trouble. Carson Edwards, that's who it is. Carson Edwards, there it is, yep. Yeah, I, I just don't like the team. They don't have the guards. The team that I really do like is Houston. 
Okay, so obviously they're dominating the lackluster AAC. Yeah, nobody there. I know. I understand that, but I just I've watched honestly a lot of their games because I my betting trick this year is I will take teams that are I'll look at the stats and if they are playing like let's say they're playing a team that's tenth in their conference or whatever and they just blow. Yeah, like let's say they're playing them, and you look at the stats, and in every single category, they outplay them by 10 statistical points or whatever you want to call it, and they just blow them out of the water. And Houston's only favored by 18 and a half. I'll, I'll take the alternate line, and I've hit a couple of big ones on this. I'll take the alternate line at like Houston minus 25, and it hits more often than it doesn't because I feel like Vegas doesn't pay attention enough to these low-tier basketball games, and they just throw a spread out there. So I try and take advantage of that. I've hit a couple of big parlays doing that. So I have watched a lot of Houston and talk about guard play. They got some dogs at guard. Go Cougs! No, they're they're um, they're filthy, and let's not forget they're two years removed from going to the Final Four. Yeah, um, this is a team that's been a perennial tournament and deep tournament team, usually as a super low seed. Because again, you know they're they're playing in a conference that they've been able to dominate here for a while. Um, let's move into the Big Twelve, where Kansas lost this week to a very good Iowa State team. Texas was able to outlast a very good uh, Kansas State team. I think this conference is pretty freaking good. Oklahoma State got a win. Yeah, um, I think they're the best conference. Yeah, so what are you where are you looking at for this conference? Who's gonna eventually prevail here? I hate to say it, but I, I do think it's Kansas. I just think again, I'm looking at the guards and they got a really good transfer from Texas Tech and that guy his last name's Dick, the white guy. I'm thinking about him. I, I do think that Kansas is gonna come out of the Big Twelve. And this camp and the rest of this conference, I think, is going to cannibalize each other because I think it's between the Big Twelve and the Big East for the best for the best conferences this year. I wouldn't sleep on the SEC, um, but yeah, I'm just talking top to bottom. For the most part, I think I'm in agreement with you. I think, yeah, no, I hear you because um, the top of the SEC, which we'll talk about here momentarily, is really really good. But, no, I, I think that Kansas is a safe bet. Why wouldn't it be? I've watched Texas a, a couple of times. They do scare me, even though they have players. Uh, I don't think we talked about it, but Frank Beard is out after his – Yeah, their head coach uh, got fired, years. right? So, yeah, so they've, they've been playing with an interim head coach. But, they're. I mean, I, I still wouldn't be shocked if they won. Uh, Kansas State's good. Iowa State's always a really good team. But I still think Kansas, they're the they're – the, they're the team I would feel best about putting money on to to come out of that conference. Yep. Uh, who do you like from the from the Pac-12? I think it's UCLA. I think it's UCLA too. Again, another team that has been good now for a while. They've still got Hawkes. Um, yep. I feel safe about them. As That's my whole reason. Crunching time. Hawkes is like a, a giant guard. I, I think. I mean, he's one of those players that's just such a good college basketball player, and then he'll never, he'll probably never sniff a court in the NBA. I mean, they made it to the national championship game when they were on the last four in and had to play in that first round a couple of years ago. Yep. No, yeah. And Hawkins is just, he's good for, you know, the other team scored. They're up 10, but the other team scored, you know, three straight buckets, and we need somebody to just 
pound the rock and get us a bucket in the paint or get fouled. He's so good for that where he just needs to grab the momentum back. Yeah, there's not another there's not another top team in that conference. I'm I'm looking up and down the rankings right now that the fresh rankings that came out today and it is just littered with Big 12 and Big East. It's it's like it, it really is crazy. Um let's talk SEC next. I'm really taught I'm really caught in between between Tennessee and Alabama. Tennessee is obviously really good, but Tom they have just had some brutal losses. And I don't know if you saw the score this week, but this is a legitimate score in 2023 college basketball. They beat Auburn 46 to 43. They have games where they just straight up can't score points. Yeah. I mean, they figure out a way defensively to put the clamps on, but that's not going to happen when you're playing competition in March. You need to get the ball in the hole. That's, that's real bad. They choked the basketball in that game. I think I feel better about Alabama. Yeah, me too. All right. Let's get to our conference. Big, Big East, East, baby. I mean, this team's littered. I think St. John's going to make the tourney this year. I don't think they're going to do anything special, but they're 13-6 and six right now. Uh, they did beat your UConn Huskies a couple of weeks back, mid-January. Um, they have been – they've lost two in a row, but – they're, they're beating the teams that they should, and they're losing to the teams that they're supposed to lose to. Um, and that, to me, just says that they'll probably sneak in to the tournament and then lose in the first round. Outside of that, I mean, I think I, – I don't know what's going on with your Huskies, but I think Marquette and Xavier are the class of it. I feel the best about Xavier, even though Marquette's ranked 10 and Xavier is. I like 13. Xavier better, too. Um, they can score with really anybody. Like, yeah, and they've got Fremantle and Nunji. You know, that's a really tough front court. Um, you know, my Huskies, if you catch them at the right night, and honestly, right the spot right ahead of them at number 20, UConn's 21, is Providence, who has had some really good wins this year, and they are a very well coached and. Um, a good shooting team. My Huskies, man, are just really inconsistent. I mean, they were 14 and 0, ranked, moved up to number two in the country there. But you know what? They don't go to the foul line. They they just do not shoot free throws. And in addition to that, they they have a turnover issue that has just not gone away. And as good as Sonogo is, and as good as Hawkins is. And as great of a playmaker Jackson is, they have um, their freshman Alex Caravan. Well, he was shooting the lights out the other day against Georgetown. But there's nights time where like they just they don't have anybody that can score, and it's it, it it can it can get away from them quick. Yeah, and I also don't think that they're a very tenacious team. They're not great on the boards, and I just think that they fall in love with the long two and the three a little too much for my taste. And that's why they're not getting to the free throw line. Well, yeah, I mean they're they're losing games because their opponent is like eighteen of twenty one from the line, and UConn's like three of five. Yeah, no, of course. You know? Now they usually beat teams from the three point arc, but if they're not doing that, and those and they're pretty much averaging out, uh, they're and they're they're not disciplined enough with the basketball, um, which is really a problem. Yeah, is there anybody else on the board that interests you? I mean, St. Mary's is up there. We know them from all the Australian players they seem to bring in, including Matthew Delvadova. Great. Um, but, I, I mean, I haven't watched much of them, but 
they are ranked ahead of Gonzaga. They be just they just beat them uh, by eight earlier uh, on Saturdays. So, um, no, I mean I think overall there's the parity that we talked about. I did watch the Indiana Purdue game. That was a really good ending. I watched the Texas Kansas State game. That was a good ending. Uh, Virginia lost to Virginia Tech, but I think I don't care how far Virginia goes or any national championships that they win. I still will never trust their style of play come March. No, not at all. Me either. They're they're like a I don't even know how to describe them because I feel like Syracuse tries to do the same thing, but Syracuse can actually score the ball when they need to and when they were good, and I feel like Virginia never can. How many teams do you think come out of the Big East? To the tourney? Yeah. Hmm. I'm going to say, well, I mean, let's look at the rankings right now. The Big East has one, two, three, four, five teams in the top 25. Yep. That's got to be the most, right? Uh, I think the Big 12 has more. I'm not counting the Big Twelve too. I'll take your word for it. But they've got to be they've <laughs> got to be in the top. They've got to be in the top there, close to it. Uh, I think they get six in. Yeah, I think well, they get six in. I I wouldn't be shocked, man. I mean, UConn's in right now. If the season were to end, they're you know I think they're probably at the worst case a six seed, probably best case four seed. And then you're looking at, you know, probably in that same territory is a is a Marquette. Maybe they're as much of a, as a three. Xavier's right there. But I think this Big East tournament's going to be electric, man. There's a lot of really good teams. Yeah, I think any team could beat outside of Xavier, beat pretty much any team. Um, but, yeah, I'm looking at Rutgers, too. watching your Johnnies, man. Your Johnnies, I mean, they came into Johnny's to Gamble the, Pavilion. The Johnnies are the same story every year. I think they're a little bit more talented this year, although they could use the guy who's on the Sixers this year, Champagne, as a guy who can play in half court because they don't mm-hmm. have any. But they're a fast-break team. They're going to – if if you try and play their game where it's run up and down, they have the ability to run you off the floor. But if a team like – UConn that can play more half-court basketball and shoot the three and not have to get out and run or something like that. If you play smart and you don't fall into St. John's tricks, it, it's a wrap. But see, it's actually funny because that was how the UConn-St. John's game went when they played a month ago in Connecticut. And actually, UConn likes to run the break. They don't like to play slow-paced half-court. They create a lot of their threes based off of dribble penetration and, and drive to the rim and then kick out. Um, or, you know, the double team comes for Sunogo and the guys get open. But St. John's was able to knock down some shots and, and they just kind of mucked it up where you. Exactly their brand. Con could never really get in a rhythm. Um, and they were taking a lot of they were taking a lot of like early shots and not in rhythm shots. And that's why it's like when the Big East tournament comes, like I'm never shocked if St. John's gets to the second round or third round. Yeah, no. But then they are an automatic out in the first round of the NCAA tournament if they get in. Um, <laughs> yeah, no other teams really that stand out to me. There's no team that's just crazy over the top this year. Um, shout out to Michaela though. UVM is number one in the American East and, um, there we go. and her future alma mater where she's getting her uh, PhD at Rutgers is, is ranked in the top 25 and they're number two in the big 10. So Michaela, you know, she's such a huge basketball fan, especially college basketball, her alma mater and future alma mater are just killing it this year. 
It's shocking because of all the time that you've been with her, you've mentioned that a grand total of zero times. Which part? Her being a huge basketball fan. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, she just really loves it. I'm sure she was just going to all the Catamount games up in Burlington. You know what's funny is I think of the University of Vermont basketball and the, the like the what I remember the most is the year after Syracuse won the national championship. It was either the year after or two years after. And they beat Syracuse in like the first round and everybody like lost their shit. And I was like, wait, Vermont has basketball players? I couldn't believe it. They made they made a they made the tournament, I think, for one of the first times a couple of years back. Um and yeah, I mean, let's see if they can make some noise again this year between them and Rutgers. I mean, good for Michaela. She Rutgers just likes got a nice she she just likes going to blue chip programs. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. That's what we think about Michaela with her with her basketball, her school decisions. I'm only going where there's blue chip basketball. Let's start up in Vermont. Um, Burlington loves their uh, loves their loves their basketball. Um, but yeah, Rutgers. That was a good win the other day. They beat Michigan State. I know Michigan State's a little bit down, but that's a hell of a win. When does uh, Tom Izzo retire? <laughs> I don't know, but I feel like he should at least get another couple years uh, after um, after what's his name, Beheim. Beheim has to go. I thought he was gonna retire because it's like it felt like you know you had your Carnesecca and um, what's his face at Georgetown, um, Thompson, Thompson, and and you had a couple of other guys, and that was after the OGs like the Rups and whatnot. And then, and then you moved into your Coach K's and your Bayheims, and then I felt like Izzo came a little bit after that, and then Calipari, and obviously Slick Rick was tucked in there. By the way, we forgot to mention Iona is having an, an incredible season. Of course um, they are. They're going to run away with the Mac, and I think this might be the year where they can finally um, get past the first round. And I thought that they were going to be the first Mac team to do it until St. Peter's last year went on that that storybook run. Um, yeah. But um, it's it's time. It's time for these '90s, early 2000s coaches to just turn the page on. I I thought Beheim was supposed to retire like two years ago, and I don't know what happened. Because two years ago they they ended up going on this run where they went to like the Elite Eight. <laughs> you know, like what the hell's going on? So he's just gonna run it back. <laughs> for he seems to be doing it, but he's snapping it like. The, the Syracuse University press where you've got these poor students who are just like asking questions and he's just all salty and surly with them. It's like, all right, old man, get out. Yeah, I know. Ugh, I don't know. Um, anything else for college basketball? Keep, keep pay attention to the Bryant Bulldogs, by the way. Doug Eater transferred there. You know, uh, the Bryant Bulldogs is where my brother started his college career. Oh, yeah. Where'd he finish? Uh, out of there after a semester. <laughs> Bryant College, man, not a bad he school. He decided that he was he did not want to uh he did not want to go that route. Eh, well, it's not for everybody. No, college is fucking but, overrated, anyways. Yeah, I mean, people know our experiences. Go <laughs> Westcott. Um. All right, do you want to talk a little Pebble Beach pro am? Justin Rose got the win at minus eighteen. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, I, I don't even understand this Pro-Am. It's like a combination of multiple courses. Um, uh, it, it doesn't even make sense to me, the whole layout of it. 
Um, it's played at Pebble Beach, Spyglass, and Monterey Peninsula. I think originally it was, um, yeah, it is. I'm looking it up now. It was the Crosby Clam Bake. Um, Bing Crosby, ever heard of him? Um, started sure. this started this little tournament back in uh, what fucking. I don't know. It says or we're just Crosby kind of after Crosby. with Sinatra and guys of that ilk, right? Yeah. Um. It looks like it was established in 1977. Wait, you don't know who Bing Crosby is, or are you playing with me? I was completely kidding. Oh, Bing Crosby is like one of the most prolific American singers and actors of all time. I think he White was a Christmas scumbag. I think he was a scumbag originally to Sinatra. Just saying. Most of those guys were. Yeah. Um. But it is played across those three courses. Uh, Pebble Beach, believe it or not, is a public course. Uh, good luck getting on it. The other two are, um, I believe, very much private in places. Monterey Peninsula and Spyglass is like ranked in the top 10 in the world. Uh, good luck to anybody that wants to play it. But it's split between the three. Uh, I think Rose originally thought he was going to be playing Monterey Peninsula Club in the morning, and then he ended up having to play Pebble Beach Sunday afternoon. The weather fucked everything up. He ended up having to finish on a Monday, but um, he seemed to have everything dialed out there given the weather um, and played a really, really good... Uh, I think it, Yeah, I think he had a good full four rounds of golf. I didn't look at the full scorecards, but I know he finished up there pretty high. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> If you finish at a minus eighteen overall, that's that's pretty that's pretty fire, you know, across the three courses and an interesting format from what I was listening to. It's like I guess the to make it as even for every group as possible that they never really change the pins. Um, you know, so like on one day, you know, sometimes they they'll change the they'll change the pins a little bit. They try to keep it super consistent, which I think is pretty hard when you have weather going the way it is, right? Um but as far as trying to make it most conducive to everybody over the course of the weekend, and I think uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, took first place in the amateurs or in the uh, in the celebrity profile, whatever whatever the hell that is. Hmm. I I, I got to look it up on their website because it's only showing the professional um, tournament. Yeah. Um, but let me see. I'm pretty sure I'm right on that. Yeah. No. I mean, he's he's a very good golfer. Um, I think there it, was controversy because he was like at he was like with the tens, I think. And everybody was like, no, you should be like the ones or like the twos or threes based off his previous rank, like where he was previously ranked. Last he was time sandbagging? He or something. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. There wow. was a little bit of controversy with him. <laughs> Good for him. I would do the but same it's thing. Roger, so it's on brand, right? Yeah, I guess it is. I mean, I, I'm not going to say anything bad about Aaron Rodgers until he's officially not a jet. Okay. All right. Because that guy probably listens to everything. And I would love to have him on the pod. I would love to have him on the pod. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to be in a different psychedelic experience talking to him. I'll do whatever he wants. He wants to do peyote. He wants to do ayahuasca or whatever the hell he does. Ayahuasca. Ayahuasca, ayahuasca, whatever. <laughs> I will. I'll puke before the pod uh, and be ready to go and just have. You're going to be questioning like You're going to be questioning existence in its totality by the time you get out of that trip. That's okay. Uh, that's if I get Aaron Rodgers on the pod, that's a, doesn't matter to me, but yeah, um, we're looking ahead. We are looking ahead to this Thursday. We're not going to talk about it probably because we got a lot going on. I believe the next tournament 
is it's waste management this coming the weekend. waste management yes sir um of course when i try and google pga tour schedule pga tour superstore comes up because i'm a sicko when i go there at least once a week um <laughs> yeah i i can't wait for this one um you know who's winning it who's winning it ricky fowler oh well you know what according to your predictions it's a, this is this is a good place to start Yep, Ricky Fowler's going to win it, and I absolutely can't wait. The place is going to be bumping. And mark the date down, February 9th through the 12th, if they're doing it again next year. This is a potential in Scottsdale bachelor party uh, destination. Hey, now. Yeah, this that would be epic. Scottsdale in the winter um, and going to this for one day and then just playing a bunch of golf out there. It would be amazing. I think that you are already starting to look up hotels and uh, or Airbnbs or something. Yeah, a guy can dream. I think that dream could become a reality for you, man. What's more, what's more on brand for you than the waste management open, just partying and, and golf? Party. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, well, is there anything else you got? No, man, that's pretty much it. We'll save our uh, Super Bowl prop bets for later in the week, as we talked about. Same with uh, evaluating all other NBA trades. And I, I don't know, do you do you think that this is going to be an eventful deadline, or do you think that it's going to be a lot of buildup with not a lot of actual moves? You know, I hate to say it, but I think it's going to be a lot of bark and not a lot of bite. And, and yeah. it, it just feels like one of those years where they just started talking about it like way too early and I feel like every time that they talk about the trade deadline at, at like around Christmas time and we start looking ahead to trades and whatnot nothing ever happens it's the ones where you know it creeps up on you and you're like oh shit the trade deadline's next week and then shit starts flooding in yeah and it's also you know listening to Woes talk about it today on ESPN he was saying that you know this is very much a a buyer's market but not a seller's market so there's not a lot of teams that have the assets that teams really want. And these selling, you know, the, the sellers don't really have players that they have to move either, you know? So, well, yeah, they're, um, they're also somebody, given the, if you're trying to trade a true asset, like a Bradley Beal, uh, who I've not spoken highly of on this podcast in the recent past or, or players along that line. I mean, between other teams not having assets and then just completely resetting the entire spectrum of NBA trades with the go bear trade. I think it's going to be tough to get a deal done. Yeah. I mean, I think though that if you're a team like Toronto that has Siakam who you've contemplated moving and you've got OG Ananobi who basically the entire league wants, um, you know, teams of that, of that ilk, you know, could really, really do well if they decide the bulls too, if they decide to go all in and, and sell a DeRozan or a Levine or a Caruso or a Vucevic. So I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see what happens, man. But um, in the meantime, Kyrie Irving enjoyed Dallas. That's still four hours for me. So I don't have to worry about running into him, but those JFK assassination uh, conspiracy theories about to go to a whole new level with him down here. I never even thought of that. Jesus. Oh man. He's just going to jump. Maybe he'll move to uh, Phoenix next and he'll start talking about UFOs. <laughs> don't don't rule it out, man. Don't rule it out. I'm sure he's already hanging out at the grassy knoll right now. <laughs> he's just looking at the place where they said he got shot from, just 
yeah. just with a side cocked head. Yeah, he's like, I think I figured this out. I don't Luke see is it. Like, hey. Luke is like, listen, man, uh, you're supposed to be at practice. Um, <laughs> you know, you've only been here a little bit. Yeah, right. All right, man. Well, we'll be talking to everybody later in the week. Um, yeah, that's it. That's it. Take care, everybody.